All right, welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. Today, we are going to go over some news and notes over the last couple weeks, and we are recording on January 16th, one day after the J-15 signings opened up. So we'll talk about those big signings and where we expect them to go and kind of expectations that we have for those players. But first, let's bring in Matt. Matt, how are you doing? What's going on, buddy? We are video live. I do not think we're going to be tossing this full take on YouTube because we are still dealing with some technical difficulties. We are over 30. So, you know, we have a little bit more of a learning curve. Um, And it's funny, you know, that commercial where it talks about becoming your parents. I feel that every single day. And it's a little disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. I feel old for sure. Especially doing all those updates that we were talking about, just trying to get my camera ready to go. So (laughs) currently using my MacBook camera, we'll have to update that for sure. Well, I think about when we were younger and, you know, like when the iPhone rolled out, I think we were still on HTCs. But when you think about the actual processes, there was like one or two, maybe three options for each tangible use app. And now there's 15 to 30, right? Right. And that just causes more issues because certain apps require a desktop version, certain don't. Now you have the issue with Apple because you need seven different cords to connect your seven different things. It's infuriating. And um, I'm just glad we got up and going today. Yeah. First, first uh, live video. So I mean, for, let's jump into some news, though. I think the biggest signing since we last talked was the Chicago Subs signed free agent Shota Imanaga, 30-year-old pitcher from Japan. He was overcasted by Yoshinubo Yamamoto, but has decent grades, 50-grade fastball, 40-grade curveball, slider 45, splitter 55, and a control 55. So he's more of the throw everything at you and hope you don't know what's coming kind of a pitcher. And I'm not even going to try to explain the contract expectations because there's a lot of clauses in there, a lot of performance enhancers, but I believe um, he will be there for at least the next two, three years. And then going off of that, the Cubs also traded Michael, traded for Michael Bush from the Los Angeles Dodgers. They also got right-handed pitcher Yancy Almonte and the Cubs went and sent back Jackson Ferris their former second round pick, 47th overall, as well as a outfielder, Zaire Hope, who I don't know too much about outside that he was an 11th round draft pick. So my initial thoughts were Michael Bush was going to play third base and they were going to be out on the Matt Chapman sweepstakes, but recent news has Michael Bush potentially playing first base and Matt Mervis is out of a job. So maybe they're still looking at third base. There's also some rumblings out there. A beat writer um, for the Chicago Cubs made a tweet saying that Matt Shaw has been playing 95% of his offseason playing third base. So it sounds like they just need to find a Band-Aid until Matt Mer- Matt Matt Shaw, I should say, is ready for third base. So a lot I just threw at you, Matt. What are your initial thoughts on all of the Chicago Cubs signings and trades? Yeah, I think Imanaga, high-end ceiling, if we're looking at, again, 90th percent outcome, probably a number three fantasy pitcher in 15-team leagues. In 12 teams, I think you're looking at a number four, five starter. Um, The floor is that of a streamer. And I, I think 
when you talk about him coming over and playing for the Cubs as a fly ball pitcher, I have a lot of concern in Chicago because of that ballpark. Yes, at times if the wind is blowing in, it might help him. He might be a very effective pitcher, but he may also have days where he gets blown up. I think leaning on that splitter, as a lot of the Japanese pitchers do, will be really big for him. And then also, we are going to have to watch his his hot charts. We're going to have to watch where that fastball location is. We're going to have to watch where he's locating those curveballs, where he's locating those sliders. Control coming in at a 55 is encouraging. Um, as of right now, I am a little bit off on Imanaga. I would have preferred for him to go to San Francisco. Obviously, the industry would have as well. Moving on to Bush and Almonte, uh, I think it's great for Bush. We've been waiting for this for a long time. I think having the guaranteed playing time is huge. I think playing in Chicago with this emerging team is nice for his overall value. And I think Almonte is kind of being slept on as well. And in, in saves and holds leagues, you're really looking at a guy that I think can line up to be their setup man. He's a guy I've been targeting over the last week after this news broke because a lot of people didn't really have him on their maps, including myself, before this move because he wasn't in line for saves or holds. But now those holds may be an opportunity for him late of your late, late end of your drafts. I think he's someone to keep in mind. I think out of all these names you just talked about, though, Jackson Ferris, to me, has the highest upside. I think Ferris has the upside of an SP2 in a big league rotation, and I think he has the upside of an SP2 or 1 in fantasy because he has strikeout ability. Um, I've been pretty high on him this offseason. Obviously, he's young. He was a high school draft pick, again, second round. But 77 strikeouts and 56 innings for Ferris shows you some encouraging numbers. There were 33 walks. So obviously, being young is going to have to fine-tune that command. But out of all the names, Chicago sent the best player, to, in my opinion, out to L.A. And I think being in L.A. is only going to help Jackson Ferris continue to dominate. Yeah, Jackson Ferris now slots in as a number five overall prospect for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we know the great work that they do with developing their pitchers. Now, a little bit of other news. We have Marcus Stroman going to the New York Yankees to solidify that rotation. There were rumors that they might sign Blake Snell. Um, I see you have in the notes here that he turned down five years, $150 million, which I wouldn't be doing, but I'm not in his shoes. And I think this bodes poorly for Will Warren and Chase Hampton, who I'm very excited about. Will Warren has great stuff plus, according to Eno Saris, uh, according to the AAA numbers. So I'm curious what your takes are on Marcus Stroman and where you think Blake Snell might be going after he turned down a offer from the New York Yankees. Yeah, I, I think the Yankees dodged a bullet. If the reports are right that Snell did, in fact, turn down five years, $150 million, the Yankees got blessed. We saw what happened with Rodon last offseason coming into New York, having the injury concerns, signing that big contract. Yankee fans looking at him like he might be dead money on the books. I am looking for a 2024 rebound for Rodon, but I think Snell in that ballpark with those walk concerns could have been a massive, massive problem for the next five years. And I think settling for Stroman is a huge plus. If you look at last year and his baseball savant numbers, he was 88th percentile. For barrel rates. That's pretty fantastic. He was also 94th percentile in ground balls. Now, you know, you're limiting, you know, good contact as well as inducing ground balls. That's what's necessary in Yankee Stadium. Also committing to him for only two years is a huge plus for the organization as well, because essentially they're setting themselves up for Roki Sasaki, who we've heard is also, you know, going to be pursued by the Dodgers. 
this will be round two of the Yankees, obviously going after the star Japanese pitcher. But I think I think Stroman may have earned himself a nice secondary contract after his deal with the Yankees is done to end his career, maybe in New York or maybe somewhere else. I just think his profile really fits Yankee Stadium well. And I think he's a really good bridge pitcher for maybe next offseason or the offseason that follows because of that ground ball rate and that limiting of the barrel usage. Yeah, I like Marcus Stroman going to the Dodgers or to the Yankees, I should say. All right, let's move on to a few other notes we have here. The Los Angeles Dodgers, who you mentioned, they went and signed Teoscar Hernandez. So that pretty much fills out their outfield. The New York Mets went and signed Shaw Manaya, And then the Tampa Bay Rays signed the last Japanese pitcher of note, Nayuki Uesawa. I'm totally butchering that, but we'll go with it. And he got signed to a minor league contract, but he is invited to spring training. So it'll be interesting to see what type of role he gets with the Tampa Bay Rays. Anything you want to note on these three, Teoscar Hernandez, Sean Manaya, or Uwasawa? Uwasawa, I think, probably lines up for Tampa in their traditional open um, opener role or possibly lung relief. I think he could work his way into a starter's role if he proves himself to be um, of value in that role. If he can get through a lineup two times, if he can get through a lineup three times, I don't see it in his profile. Talking about a guy that pounds the zone, has a low 90s fastball. Now, you're not setting yourself up to be a frontline starter or even a back of the rotation starter. I think he's going to be a craftier major leaguer, and I think Tampa's going to have a lot of fun moving him around uh, within within those different roles. And from a fantasy perspective, unless you're in a deeper league, there's not much value for me here unless you're talking about maybe second to last round or last round of the draft and just taking a flyer in case he does come into spring and really surprise people. Um, I wanted to touch really quick on the Blake Snell expectation. Blue Jays are monitoring Snell. Uh, I could see them having not spent too much money this offseason going after Snell. They're also monitoring former Cuban pitcher uh, Yariel Rodriguez. Rodriguez was, again, formerly of Cuba, had pitched in Japan in 2022, had 54 and two-thirds innings with 60 Ks, 18 walks, and dominated with a 1-1-5 ERA. I actually just picked him up late in a draft uh, in a 30-man. I'm expecting him to sign, and I'm expecting him to start. If he doesn't, I think you're talking about a high-leverage bullpen arm. And at 26 years old, that fits right in line with where we like to grab guys for their breakouts. Obviously, coming over from Japan, uh, you're going to have a different level of competition. But at that 54 innings, he just overcomes prospect status. So if you're in split drafts, you can still take this guy in the major league portion. And a lot of people, because he's not signed, may be sleeping on him. I think that would be a really nice fit for the Blue Jays, also for him in that ballpark. Um, They are, again, monitoring him and Blake Snell. Yeah, that's good to know for sure. Let's move on to a few more news and notes before we get into the J15. I'm going to cruise through a little bit of these just because they're a little bit lower besides the trade. We've got Brett Phillips signing a minor league deal with the White Sox. The Angels have signed Zach Plesak to a minor league deal. The New York Mets signed Harrison Bader. I think that's more of a defensive move. Chicago White Sox went out and signed Martin Maldonado, formerly for the Houston Astros. I think this one more so shows the need that Yanir Diaz of the Houston Astros is going to get full playing time there. So I think that moves his ticker up compared to Martin Maldonado going to the White Sox. The Pirates have went and signed Martin Perez. That makes me think maybe Paul Skeens doesn't make the opening day roster. Maybe they're just trying to 
put pieces there. Maybe they wait until he's rookie eligible for next year to get a better shot at that rookie of the year. You've got Jackson Churio, Yamamoto voting for the top of the rookie of the year voting for NL. So if the Pirates want that extra compensation for that pick, I think it's in there worthwhile to wait for Skeens next year. Here's where it gets interesting. We'll talk about some trades. Tampa Bay Rays trade Luke Rayleigh to the Seattle Mariners for Jose Caballero. I think the Tampa Bay Rays use him as outfielder slash DH. Then the Tampa Bay Rays went and trade Andrew Kittredge to the St. Louis Cardinals for Richie Palacios. I think Palacios is more of a journeyman, more of a utility guy for them. Seattle Mariners not done. They go and trade Robbie Ray to the San Francisco Giants for Mitch Hanniger and Anthony DiSclefani. I think Robbie Ray could have a little bit of an uptick with the San Francisco Giants. I feel they're better with reinvigorating pitchers who have had downturns. Robbie Ray, yes, coming back from Tommy John, and he had his breakout season with the Toronto Blue Jays. But you look at what the San Francisco Giants did with Alex Cobb and his resurgence, and same with, I'm blanking on the other, it's not Logan Webb, Help me out here. Alex Cobb and who's the other one I'm thinking of? Anyways, um, we'll pass we on. Alex Wood. Alex Wood, that's what I'm thinking of. Alex Wood. So I like what the San Francisco Giants can do for Robbie Ray. San Diego Pod or San Diego Padres go and signed Woosuk Go, who will fit into their bullpen nicely. That definitely hurts. The, my shares of Robert Suarez and Eniel De Los Santos, who we've talked about in the past. Cincinnati Reds went out and signed Frankie Montez. I think this doesn't bode well for Frankie Montez. Um, good strikeout pitcher, but gives up a lot of runs. I think he will do that for Cincinnati Reds. So before I move on to some spring training invites, um, I threw a lot at you, Matt. Anything you want to note on any of these signings or trades? Yeah, I think the Seattle Mariners showcasing that they were not going to go into their season with Dominic Calzone, Canzone, Calzone, he probably eats Calzones. Somebody's um, hungry. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, the other name eludes me, but their outfield outside of you know Julio Rodriguez was was not impressive coming into this 2024 season. And bringing in Rayleigh and bringing, bringing in Hanniger allows them a lot of flexibility to do platoon splits to really put these guys in the best position to produce, whether it's a lefty or the righty. And I think it falls right in line with kind of their development status as well. When we talk about the J-15, we have a, a name that we're going to bring up that's yet again another signing. And when you look at the, the Mariners' overall farm system, there's a lot of names we really like. A lot of middle infielders that I think could be transitioning to the outfield to really help that lineup and help Rodriguez uh, you know, p- patrol that outfield because ultimately what they have right now is not a long-term solution. I think it does hurt Hanniger's stock a little bit. I own him in a few leagues and I was really hoping he would stay with San Francisco because I saw defined playing time. Now he is making a pretty hefty price tag this season for Seattle. So they may be more encouraged to make him more of a full-time player. I think we need to see how that shakes out. But also Hanniger's been a guy that historically runs into injuries almost every single year. Um, I love Robbie Ray kind of going back in that deal. I think this was a fantastic landing spot for him. I think the Giants really leveraged the money that they have on hand properly. I think Ray can return to a fantasy three pitcher in San Francisco. Uh, Even with the upside of a fantasy two pitcher, maybe in his best year, 
coming back from Tommy John, I expect a good rebound. And that's the ballpark I want any of my fantasy pitchers in. Obviously, you want run support, and that's what the Giants have to focus on mainly. But moving off of Hanniger, I think, was probably the right move. I think it's about $20 million a year that he's on the books for. Woosuck go. People are going to have an awesome time with fantasy names. Uh, you know, that's that's just a, a golden goose. If you draft him, I'm sure he will be drafted for that reason alone. But it murkies the waters for the Padres bullpen. You and I have talked all offseason about who are we targeting to get those saves, even those holds. And Go really kind of makes it a three-man race now. And I am okay with that because I think Suarez making what he's making will be given an opportunity to get saves or holds. I think Go... Same thing. Like you, you know, at least in a saves and holds league, you're okay taking one of those guys because they will give you one or the other. I think the best way to do it in saves and holds league is to pair two of the three up. If you can find a way to do that, I think you solidify probably 60 saves and holds right there. And that already off the bat puts you in a really good position. Kind of transitioning to Frankie Montas. I expected nice year for Montas. I think this is probably a innings sign with a hope for upside and then at the deadline, possibly moving on from him. But again, Cincinnati's in the idea in the driver's seat of contention. So I'm, I'm a little confused in regards to what they plan to do with him since this wasn't a long-term deal, but also from his perspective, coming to Cincinnati pitch well in that ballpark, which is very challenging, could make him a lot of money this offseason. Yeah, a lot. Um, let's keep rolling with uh, Cincinnati Reds, and it looks like they are inviting Chase Petty and uh, Rhett Lauder to their spring training. Do you think either of those make the opening day rotation? And then we have Thomas Segesi, um and Tinkens and Victor Scott invited to spring training for the St. Louis Cardinals. Personally, I'm a big Victor Scott fan. You've turned me on to him. I'm excited to see what he can do, showcase his speed, his contact, and give a little bit of pop. Hopefully he can crank one, two, maybe three homers in spring training. Um, then I think the hype really gets going for Victor Scott. I think we're still ahead of the curve. I think we're ahead of the industry. I don't think anybody's on Victor Scott like you and I are just because they're thinking it's another Estuary Ruiz, somebody who's got the speed, doesn't have the average, and definitely doesn't have the pop, but I feel like he's going to be different. Do you have the same sentiments? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm getting to the point with Victor Scott where I think I'm out of my mind. <laughs> I mean, I, I think if I were to actually put him in my rankings properly where I feel he belongs. We're topping. We're talking top twenty, maybe even top fifteen. I think we're talking about a guy in his prime season that's going to hit you two two ninety, three ten, eighty stolen bases, fifteen home runs, a hundred runs, eighty RBIs. I think we're talking about an absolute star. And in categories in roto, he's a guy that can make up for more of a power approach. Uh, maybe, you know, a little bit lower on average with some of those power hitters. Maybe you go Manny Machado and you substitute that with Victor Scott. I think Victor Scott is absolutely being slept on. And if I'm wrong, I'm in deep trouble because I have been acquiring him in every league I can, especially Roto in category. And it's going to really burn me if I'm wrong, because I've been giving up, you know, what the industry would consider more than I should be to acquire him because I am so high on him. But I, I just see I see a star in the making. And the big thing we've talked about all offseason with Victor Scott is will the Cardinals allow him the proper playing time to develop at the major league level? 
That outfield has been crowded for years. He needs a starting job. I think this spring could vault him into an immediate, immediate starting opportunity. Um, but I like the fact that they're bringing Sajazi and Henson as well. Hence has kind of been slept on as well this offseason. There was a lot of buzz coming into 2023, and it's kind of fallen off a little bit because they were very careful with his innings. Uh, and then Sagesi, you know, we like him a lot. He is a professional hitter. There is question marks if that will translate. There is question marks with bat speed. I think we're talking about either a great utility player, very similar to Enrique Hernandez, or we're talking about a guy that in a few years could be a top 10 second baseman because of all of the categories he provides. And just regarding Chase Petty and Rhett Lauder, I think Petty long-term is probably a bullpen arm. Uh, they have scaled back his velocity in the minor league level, coming out of the gates of high school, 97, 98 on the gun, hitting 99, really dialed into 91, 92 at the minor league level, um, extending that arm. But we know he has higher velocity in him. So I, I think if he struggles to really put together those secondaries and a bullpen opportunity, isn't out of the question, but I think they're bringing him and Lauder in to really see where they're at and to give them the opportunity to say, Hey, like if we put together two, three good months, we could be a value to the big league club. I think Lauder has a chance to come up this season and pitch in the rotation. I think Petty has a chance to come up and pitch in the bullpen. Uh, but if Petty comes up, it would be early, um, early as in early in his professional career. I think we're probably looking at a mid 2025, early 2026 for Petty but performance dictates everything. Yeah. I feel the same way about Petty, except for I think he stays in a starter's role just because the Reds need it. I also think Rhett Lauder, if he comes out of the gates and has a good beginning of the season, just like Herson Waldrop did to his pro debut, I think Lauder could make his debut similar to what Andrew Abbott did middle of the year. And then just touching on Victor Scott, I checked my rankings. I have him 31st overall as my 10th outfielder. Um, so I'm high. I don't think I'm as high as top 20. Um, for context, I have Lazaro Montez as my top 20. He's probably like your number two or three prospect. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, I know you got Montez high, probably higher than where I have him at 20. Um, but those are two guys that we will not stop tooting their horns. And if they don't make it, I think we're both in big trouble, as you said. But Well, and, and completely different profiles, yeah. right? I mean, one's speed, and, one's power. Honestly, that's the profile pairing from a prospect level that I'm pairing together because, you know, I think if we get the outcome from Montez, we expect we're talking about a 280 hitter with 40 home runs, right? We've talked about Jordan Alvarez as his comparison. Obviously, it's very early, but there is no speed in that bag. And then you add Scott to that. You're talking about between the two, a 280, 285 average, 40 to 50 home runs and 80 stolen bases. That is incredible especially in the categories league so again dynasty two montas his name is being really pushed up boards but i think we're still early enough on him too where you could get scott you could get montas and um really be happy yeah if you're one of us that's why it's not good for us to be in the same draft room it's not good all right it's not good the moment you guys have all been waiting for the j15 signings we will try to get through as many as we can. Um, I have spot track up um, just to track what they have. I don't think it's fully up to date because I think there's been more signings. So we'll go with the two big ones that have signed, and that is Jose Perdomo and Leo DeVries. Um, 
completely saying it wrong. We'll go. With I like. I like. I'm. I'm going with Leo Devries. Devries. Um, fries like fries. I like it. I like the name a lot. Yeah. Okay. So Leo Devries signs with the San Diego Padres as the second highest so far at four point two million dollars. He has gotten lofty comps to the switch hitting Jose Ramirez. Also, Baseball America gives him comps to Corey Seager or Carlos Correa. He is 17 years old, 6'2", 183. MLB Pipeline gives him a 55-grade hit, 55 power, 55 run, pretty much 55 across the board. Those are always conservative rankings because these kids are teenagers. Like I said, he's just turned 17 on October 11th, so he's got a lot of growing, can still build into that frame at six foot two. We also know how aggressive the San Diego Padres can be with their prospects. Last year, they got Ethan Salas and moved him all the way up to double A. We could see something very similar to Leo DeVries. There was another podcast I listened to. I believe it was Rotowire, and they mentioned talking to some scouts about Ethan Salas, and they said... I could be misquoting this, but something along the lines of, you think Ethan Salas is good, wait till you see the guy that they have coming in next year, referencing Leo DeVries. So you thought Ethan Salas' rise was up. Um, Leo DeVries could be also in the same realm of possibility. So curious what your thoughts are on him, Matt. Yeah, I mean, kudos to San Diego for yet again, two years in a row, having the number one international prospect sign with them. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how their latest competition or their latest ability to go in and and compete at the major league level didn't work. And having to trade Juan Soto and having lost James Wood, having lost Robert Hassel, Mackenzie Gore, um, Susana, you know, the list continues, C.J. Abrams. And here they are replenishing their system yet again. Jackson Merrill obviously will probably be the first of the majors, DeVries being so young, but you're talking about being able to have financial flexibility with some of these youngsters like Salas and DeVries. And my expectation for DeVries is immediate stateside. I don't expect him to go into the DSL. I expect, if anything, he'll go into the the Florida Com- Complex League maybe for a week or two until they bump him into low A. And, and we start to see a similar rise to Salas. But I think we're talking about a guy that's actually going to show these contact numbers right off the bat. I'm hoping for a 300 average. I'm hoping for a little bit of pop. And as we work our way through the season into 2025, start to really see that power come through. But again, playing shortstop, you have Xander Bogarts locked up long time, long term. I, I don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to move off that contract. And you're going to have Jackson Merrill, presumably at second base once Kim leaves in free agency. So, you know, Machado at third. The question for me is, where does he play? Does he get pushed to the outfield? I think in first-year player drafts, if you're drafting DeVries, you have to be aware that outfield could ultimately be a position for him. Or maybe San Diego moves off uh, Xander Bogarts from short. Again, though, I'm never drafting a player in a first-year player with the intention of, you know, at at least from these international guys, um, where are they going to fit in? Uh, positionally. I think you take the best player available, especially in the first round. And for DeVries, I'm kind of looking top 15 picks here, maybe even top 10. Obviously, the first five guys we've talked about a lot, and we'll have an episode detailing those guys. But DeVries is is very, very talented. And we're talking about a guy that could go 2020, um, maybe even 30, 30 possibly. But I see a lot of upside. And I just want to temper this conversation too with the idea that because these guys are so young, really giving them proper grades, really evaluating them, 
is difficult for everyone in the industry because we do not have scouting reports readily available. Yeah. And we'll find out more of these guys once we get some video and see what their stats are um, and there's more data available. But we're just going based off of what we know and what's available. So always keep that in mind. The next one we have as of right now is the highest signing, and that's Jose Perdomo. He signs for $5 million out of Venezuela. He signs with the Atlanta Braves. 17-year-old, 5'11", 180, gets great comps. His best um, scouting stats are regarding his hit tool and how he can have a great feel for the off-speed pitches, and he walks a lot. So definitely not the power profile that you would get from Verize, but definitely more of a hitter, higher hitting profile, if you will. And sticking at shortstop, he's got great defense, so it sounds like he's going to stay there. That's a big knock on a lot of these prospects is, yeah, they may start out at shortstop, but will they stay there? Will they move to third, go to second? Are they that bad? Maybe they go to the outfield. So it sounds like Jose Perdomo is one that will stay at short. And knowing the Atlanta Braves, they need shortstops. So um, I don't expect him to move that quickly, but you never know. With the Atlanta Braves, you look at Michael Harris, he bumped from double A. Ronald Acuna, same thing. It only took him, I think, two or three years before he reached the majors. So, I mean, we are a ways away, but what are your thoughts on Jose Perdomo? Yeah, I mean, from the profile and all of the publications that have talked about Perdomo, I, I don't get excited from a fantasy perspective. Why I'm hesitant about my take is because Atlanta felt necessary to give this individual $5 million. This is a good organization that identifies good players and has a track record of success. To give a guy like Perdomo $5 million to me says we see a profile that we can develop into a plus-plus player, a plus-plus big leaguer. We have to have you. So I think I would be willing to take a flyer on him maybe end of the second, third round, depending on league size format. You're talking FYPD drafts? Yeah, first 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 year year player drafts. I I would be willing to maybe draft him over a couple college arms that we like after the Waldrips and the Skeens and the the Rhett Lauders are gone. But I'm, I'm definitely not taking him over most of the um, big time first year player guys that we've spoken about. Uh, and there are a few yeah. other, there's a few other names on this list already that I would rather have, but Perdomo and that $5 million, it really has me asking questions. If, if we don't really know what this profile upside could be. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, let's move to the number two ranked. Um, Perdomo was ranked number three by baseball. Pipe MLB pipeline, I should say. Let's move on to the number two, who, as of this recording, I don't think has signed, and it's my favorite, and that is Paulino Santana. He is going to be an outfielder, signs out of Dominican Republic to the Texas Rangers when everything is said and done, or at least is what he's projected to sign. 17-year-old just turned 17 on November 17th. He's 6'2", 180, gets 55 grades across the board, just like Leo DeVries. The one thing that I love is MLB Pipeline comps him to pretty much Julio Rodriguez and his defense. And um, I think the biggest thing that Paulino gets raved about is his work ethic and the fact that he can already speak English and the culture shock that there is coming from Latin America to stateside and him knowing English or at least speaking some 
English is going to only benefit him at the higher levels and it could help him move progressively faster. You look at what they did with Sebastian Walcott last year. He made it to what high A. So I would not be surprised if Paulino Santana has a similar timeline to what Sebastian Walcott had this previous year. So any thoughts on Paulino Santana for you, Matt? Yeah, in the industry, in my circles, people have been comping him to Julio Rodriguez. I think that's unfair. It's early. When Rodriguez was brought into the Mariners organization, we we could see the flash. <clears throat> we could see the body size. Like He had already put on a little bit of weight, even as a young kid, where you saw a power hitter, a five-tool potential. Santana fits that build as well. I just don't think this class is one of the best classes we've seen. I also am very confused at his signing bonus. If I am correct, it was 1.2 or 1.4. Didn't require a lot of money to come into the Rangers organization. That leaves me questioning, but I love the profile. He's a guy in international first-year player drafts. If you have split your drafts, I'm probably taking three. I think Yamamoto, DeVries, and then him for me. Uh, We talked about Iwasaka earlier. I'm taking Santana over him. Like to me, it's not a question. I'm taking um, Santana over the outfield that the Giants signed. And it's because of the possible upside and it's because of the organization that he fell in. The Rangers, the Mariners, the Orioles, you have a few of these organizations where if a guy is signed or drafted, you are you salivate. And I think Santana paired with Walcott, you know, in the same system as Wyatt Langford. You know, we have a couple other names, obviously, from the Rangers organization that we like. They are building something really special, and I think Santana can fall in line with what they've already done. Yeah. Yeah, maybe uh, Julio Rodriguez is too lofty of a comp, but, I mean, this international class and last year's international class, I think, are by far better than the last three or four altogether that we've had. I mean, you look at it, and there hasn't been that many that have gotten much hype over the last few years. So I'm excited to see what they do, but they could bust out. Who knows? I think outside of Marco Luciano and um, Blank and Jason Dominguez of the New York Yankees, there hasn't been too much to get excited about. So let's move on now to the number four um, on MLB Pipeline's international J-15 class, and that is Fernando Cruz of the Chicago Cubs, I believe. I, I thought he signed, but I can't find currently what he signed for. But either way... He is a true shortstop at 5'11". He just turned 17 on November 13th. A little bit smaller, comes in at 155. You look at his picture, and he definitely has a lot to build out as far as his frame goes. Gets pretty much 55 across the boards, except for his hit tools lower at 50 and his arm 50. Um, MLB Pipeline has the scouting report of possibly getting the 2025 homers at his peak. I don't know if that happens unless he starts filling out his frame, but still very early. I know he gets a lot of love out of the Chicago Cubs organization. So anything to note on Fernando Cruz while you're talking, I'll see if I can find what he officially signed for. Yeah. I mean, Cruz being Starling Castro's cousin has ties to obviously the organization. I think that will help the transition into pro ball and big time, um, Big time bat speed here. I think we have a really flashy player. Concern is swing and miss. He's young. And I will say that about all of these guys, when you think about even some of the names from last year, Ethan Salas working his way all the way up into double A with the Padres. 
obviously he has the name recognition. Sebastian Walcott had a lot of buzz for about a month last year because of his production before his promotion. There are usually only a couple guys that really catch fire and start having the industry buzz about them. You know, we like Deneau, uh for Cincinnati a lot, but didn't really have a lot of buzz in the season. It's going to take some of these guys two or three years to really become prospect relevant. And now's the time you want to start getting familiar with them. I, I don't even feel comfortable myself outside of the first couple guys to say I'm in or I'm out on these guys. Cruz has some tools that I'm excited about. He also has some concerns where you talk about Santana and you talk about DeVries. I don't necessarily have those same concerns, but I could easily see Cruz putting up a 380 average with 10 home runs and 80 at bats. If he goes to the Dominican summer league and everyone is excited about him only to have him incur some of those swing and miss concerns and those strikeouts at a ball double a. So He's a name, I think, again, three, four, five rounds of first-year player drafts. You definitely could feel comfortable taking him over maybe some of the third and fourth round high school bats. Um, but just to put it in perspective, Cooper Pratt for the Brewers, um, I'm taking him all day over Fernando Cruz. Yeah, so I found out he signed for $4 million. So a little bit on the higher end, we have $5 million as the threshold or the bar set by Atlanta. The number... Are we on four or five? The number five, sorry, is Aldolfo Sanchez of the Cincinnati Reds. He is an outfielder signed out of the Dominican Republic. He is a left-handed swinging and left-handed throwing player. He is 17, 6'2", 175. He's known for his hit over his power coming in at a 60 grade. Um, and he signs for $2.7 million for the Cincinnati Reds. So, Matt, I think this is a guy you said pre-show that you're interested in. Is it because he's a lefty or because he's with the Reds or a little bit of both or something that I'm not forecasting here? Yeah, I love the size. Love that he's a left-handed hitter. Um, and we talked a little bit ago about the organizational preference. Cincinnati, for me, is starting to become one of these organizations where they're really highlighting great international players. Carlos Jorge, Hector Rodriguez, who they acquired via a trade. We talk about how much we love Ellie De La Cruz throughout the entire season. You know, they are building something that I really enjoy and I'm really excited when something new enters into the fold. You know, we talked about Alfredo Deneau being at the third highest international signing last year on MLB Pipeline's list. We like him a lot. We have shares. I expect Alfredo Sanchez to enter into that same conversation this coming season. Um, Baseball America gives him really nice rankings or ratings, hitting at a 60, power at a 50, arms at a 55, so you know he can play one of the corners and stick. Fielding's at a 50. That, of course, at age 17, that will probably all develop, or he will move off center field to one of those corner positions. But again, organizational placement for me, as well as being in a system where we've seen success from these international guys is a huge key when I'm identifying players I want to draft. Yeah, I definitely like Adolfo Sanchez, and outfield, as we know, is very shallow, so hopefully he can come and add a little depth to that as we go. The next one we have on our list, is, coming in at number six, is Giovanni Rodriguez, catcher out of Venezuela. He is 17, six foot, 175. He signs with the New York Mets. I was trying to find what he officially signed for. I didn't get it before um, it was my turn to talk. But he gets a 50 grade, 55 grade hit, sorry, 55 power. Doesn't get a great run with 45. But another catcher that the Mets add to their organization, they got Francisco 
Alvarez. They've got Kevin Parada. So I think he's a ways away, but anything you want to note on Giovanni Rodriguez, Matt? Yeah, I mean, catching is his calling card, defense first. I think there's a lot of excitement there as well as as the ability to develop his offensive profile. The Mets have been excited for months about getting Rodriguez in this organization. And you talk about the assets they've allocated to really kind of shoring up that catching position. Um, We have Alvarez already there, who we're all excited about as well, if he can bring that average up. But the Mets, as they you know continue to spend money on Scherzer and Verlander, even though they've traded them away because they're paying large portion of those salaries, they really need to start to continue this stockpiling of minor league talent. So when they decide to be competitive again, they can move some of these players as well as retaining still a decent system. I think bringing Rodriguez as well as uh, Vladimir Guerrero, the half brother of Vladdy Jr., into the organization in the signing period as well is two really nice names. I think I'm probably more excited about Guerrero for the simple fact that you have a Hall of Fame father, you have a brother at the major league level who's already performing, you have another brother in a system. I think it's going to be the Rangers. We'll have to fact check that. But I think the Mets did a really good job of bringing in some names to get excited about and names that we should be monitoring you know, throughout this Dominican Summer League season. Yeah, the next one we have on our list is somebody... That is very intriguing, and that's Dowell Joseph. He is a shortstop out of the Dominican Republic. He is the youngest as far as the rankings go. He's still 16. Everyone we've mentioned has been 17. He comes in at 6'2", 185 as a 16-year-old. That's crazy to think about. Um, He does not turn 17 until May 15th. He gets a 55-grade hit, 50 power. Um, He signs with the Mariners for $3 million, and... I mean, we're talking about him at number seven by MLB Pipeline. You look at Baseball America, they have him ranked as the number four. I've heard that he could be one of those that is one of the stars in the class. Kind of like, I don't want to, I don't want to compliment Jackson Churio because you don't, you never know who the next Jackson Churio is, but I could see somebody who rises to the class could be Dowell Joseph. I'm curious what your thoughts are on him, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, we like the high at 6'2", power over hit with a little bit of speed. Again, I, I think it's hard to profile three, four years down the road what he'll look like at the major league level, whether he'll have speed or not. I just find it really interesting that the Mariners continue to stockpile these short stops. Talk about bringing Emerson Hancock in through the draft. Joseph, um, they have their ton, number one international signing from last year as well, who had injuries, and they drafted Ty Pete as well. So I do expect a few of these players to move off and be in the outfield. I think Joseph is probably in line for that transition, if not third base. The good thing is this organization continues to develop, though. We talked about um, Lazaro Montes, like they have developed him. And that is incredible for my overall profile of what to expect from Joseph, because the expectation for Lazaro was strikeouts were going to be a concern. And that was going to be what kept him and held him back from being a 90th percentile producer. So I think if being able to do that with Montas, you can probably see the same thing happening with Joseph. Um, Love it what they're doing. They are absolutely one of my top five organizations for development and bringing him in was a huge plus for their depth, I think as well as for his stock. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody to definitely keep in mind. So we're at the point now of J15 where I'm not going to lie to you, Matt, I don't know many besides Jorge Quintana because he signed with our Milwaukee Brewers or he's at least supposed to. So 
I'm just going to rattle off the next eight through 15 and I'll let you pick and choose which ones you want to go to. Um, and number eight, we got Dibir De Los Santos out of the Dominican Republic, Kenu Blanco out of Venezuela, Adriel Rodney out of the Dominican Republic. So anything to note on these guys? No, I'm just going to list off it's kind of the same way you did some names. Eduardo Herrera, White Sox, third base. I think there's a big profile for power there. Um, White Sox, obviously an organization that has been continuing to fill. He's a name that I was looking at in much deeper drafts of this offseason. Again, it's hard to gauge the profile, but power is his calling card. Um, Robert Arias for the Guardians outfield contact approach. Uh, perfect for the Guardians. He's a name that people really like right now. Interesting with the Colorado Rock, Rockies, they have Ashley um, Anador, Anadjar. I'm going to butcher Andujar? that. I don't, I don't know and, which one you're it, referencing. It might be Andujar, yeah. And I don't know if there's a relation to um, Oh, Ashley Andujar, yep. Um, I don't know if there's a relation. There may be. Um, let's keep going here. I really am interested in what the Dodgers picked up. And it's just because it's the Dodgers. It's... Um, Emil, I'm gonna say Emil. It's E M I L Morales. It's a shortstop. Number coming in. Dodgers number didn't have to. Yeah, I didn't have to spend a lot of money, but six three, 180 pounds. We saw what Vargas did this last year as a guy that wasn't, you know, the number one profile international signing. And Vargas came out and absolutely, you know, rose up boards. I was taking him too high in drafts. Anytime the Dodgers do anything, I'm interested. Um, so Morales is a guy that. Check your waiver wires if you've done your first-year player drafts. If you haven't, he might be a fifth-round, sixth-round option, maybe a guy that you trade into the fifth and take just because he landed with the Dodgers. Uh, that's a really big one that I like. Outside of that, yeah, Jorge Quintana for the Brewers shortstop, supposed to be the best hitter right out of the gate from Venezuela in this international class in general. So I think you could see Quintana really make a name for himself early. But contact over power, again, being young. You mentioned De Los Santos for the Twins. Big time power there, swing and miss issues. Still kind of going down this list a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think we like hit we on all the about. big ones. I think the only yeah. other one that we could probably throw in is um, Hurtado of the Nationals. The yep. Baseball Youngest. America has him ranked seventh. Uh, overall by their rankings compared to um, I'm not even seeing him on MLB pipelines here. Still looking. They have him all the way down at 20th. He's 16. Um, doesn't turn 17 until May 24th. He's at 6'3", 175. So more of a lengthier type uh, dimension. He's going to the nationals gets 55. Yep. I mean, a lot of these top 20, top 30, they're all going to get around that 50 to 55 unless they really stick out, then they're going to give him 60 very conservative on these grades, but he's touted for having a good baseball IQ and a good work ethic, kind of similar to Paulino Santana. I don't know if he speaks English, but we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not very interested from the international standpoint for the nationals. I don't like what's been going on with Christian Vaquero, who is the number one international signee two, maybe three years ago. So two sounds right. Yeah. Two um, right. I mean, I mean, they don't have a great track record outside of Juan Soto, but Juan Soto is going to be Juan Soto regardless of what organization he was in. 
So yeah, there's one last one, and there's confusion whether he is signing with Kansas City or whether he's signing with uh, the Padres. We're on. I'm using BA as my resource right now for who has signed. It's also pretty remarkable how many players have signed. I mean, looking right here at the Milwaukee Brewers, they signed like 400 players. It's obviously uh, an exaggeration, but holy cow, they spread their money out. Let's see um, like Kansas they, City. Oh, wow, they did. Yandiel, uh Ricardo. What's Y A N D E L? Ricardo, it's a shortstop from Cuba. Profiling as a guy that's an all around package with really nice bat speed as well as a good swing. Um, I like what they did with Ramon Rodriguez. That's a guy that you and I have started to kind of like scrape the surface with. He's a name that we highlighted a few months ago, and the industry has seemed to taken off on him. Um, so I like what they've already been able to do with their really young development. I think Ricardo could fall in line again this time next year as a guy that's gaining traction out of Cuba. So you have the pedigree as well as being in an environment where they produce you know, good players and you have professional leagues that have produced good players as well. So I like that aspect. Um, Venezuela always concerns me a little bit just because, you know, it's really hit or miss Dominican Republic. We're seeing a lot of players, obviously, but Cuba, we're seeing less and less kind of come out of the last few years. Um, Ricardo's a name to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. I'm just reading up on who the Marlins took as a pitcher um, because it's the Marlins and they always do pitchers. Jose Paulino, right-handed pitcher out of the Dominican Republic, signs for less than $1 million, six foot three. He started before signing with a fastball to 92. It has now risen to 96 as he's, I think he's 17 year old. And he's got a three picks, three pitch mix, I should say, with a curveball and a changeup. So I'm interested to see how he progresses. I mean, we're a ways away, but who knows? Maybe the next Yuri Perez could be Jose Paulino. You never know. Um, just an interesting name to note. I'm sure we will have more names as the season progresses, as we get more signings. Definitely as the DSL rolls around come the middle of summer, we will have more information on these guys, who's breaking out, who's looking like potential busts. Hard to say who's busting really with a half a season in the middle of summer at the DSL or complex league. So we will have more information on that as the season goes on. Until then, I think that wraps up our show, Matt. Anything else you want to mention before we take off? No, I'm just going to, for reference point for next year, I'm just going to throw out the names that I like the most uh, for the listeners in case you want to toss them in watch lists. We talked about Fernando Cruz. I'm not so high on him, but you are, so I'm, I'm going to add him in. Um, oh, well, hold, Eduardo on, hold Herrera. on. I didn't say I was high on him. I said MLB Pipeline and the Chicago Cubs are high on him. I have the same sentiment. So are sentiments. you in or out? I'm going to be out on Fernando Cruz. I'm out too. Because okay. I don't like what they did with Jefferson Rojas so far. So I know. I'm trying to move him. It's hard. What do you mean move him? Um, like in your rankings? Okay, we're, we're no, like top. move him off the team that I inherited because oh, I see, I they've see. got 25 17-year-olds and no one wants any of them. Got it. Um, got okay, it, got so it. we're out on Cruz. I am in on Herrera for the White Sox are third you, base. Are you in on Paulino Santana like I am? Or maybe I'm just... Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm just drinking out of the kool-aid a little bit too much no no i'm in i'm in i'm in enough to you know take him against player uh, over players that are given major league jobs so i'm i'm definitely in and again it depends where your team is you know if you're in 30 man probably go for the international signings um that are playing at the major league level just kind of heads up that's (laughs) kind of obvious um adolfo sanchez absolutely on my list i need to do some more research on him but from your take i'm in on him too 
Yeah. In uh, Robert Arias, outfielder for the Guardians, definitely a name I want to keep an eye on. Uh, Houston doesn't have anybody. Kansas City, we just talked about it. Yandel uh, Ricardo. Again, I'm sorry for the pronunciation on that name. You You're getting better. You're getting better. Go back a little bit. I spelled it for you. Um, Emil Morales, shortstop, Dominican Republic for the Dodgers. Uh, Brewers, Jorge Quintana. Again, if you can grab him, I think his trade value will continue to climb throughout the 2024 season. Brewers signed a lot of players, so kind of going through their list on Baseball America would probably do you benefit as the listener. Uh, De Los Santos for the Twins. You could see really big power in the DSL. I think we're going to have a lot of swing and miss as he develops. Obviously, De Los Santos, love the name, close to De La Cruz. Giovanni um, <laughs> Rodriguez, catcher yeah. New York Mets. I think he could be a stashable player where you can have some catching depth in your minor league system and dynasty. Yankees had a guy I really, really, oh, it's uh, Valero, uh, Francisco Valero outfield, supposed to be similar profile to their 2023 international signing, Mateo, if I am correct. Um, he was three on pipeline for 2023, very similar profile. You can do a little bit more reading up on him. He's a guy I think will probably do very well in the DSL. So maybe trading into the fifth round of the first year player for him is, is important. Um, I think that kind of, uh, we, we talked about DeVry's obvious. Yeah, we talked about no Santana, brand. obvious. Um, Dewal Joseph, obvious. But everyone else, I think it's uh, it's shooting fish in, in a massive sea. You know, you just kind of kind of get lucky. You really kind of cling on to some profiles. And then Victor um, Gerardo, you talked about youngest kid, big, tall profiles with big power down the road once he fills out. It's kind of all the names we have for you the week of the, the signings. Yeah. All right. That was a great recap and we will see how we do next year and which ones we got right and which ones we got wrong. Until then, I think we've got to continue our, our rankings for our next few podcasts unless we switch it up, do something different. And we will talk to you next time. Make sure you follow us. Um, hopefully we'll get a YouTube channel with us going live on video once we get the kinks figured out here. Mm. Um, we'll get the channel sent out to all of you listeners. But until then, make sure you subscribe, give us five-star ratings, and share with your friends so that they can listen as well. Until then, we'll talk to you later.